next section to page 942. 942, if you watch the numbers on the bottom of the page, 942. This is found in the Westminster Larger Catechism. I'd like you to find question 30, if you would please. Question 30. I'll read the question if you as the congregation will respond with the answer to this question. Doth God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? With whom was the covenant of grace made? And then over to question 36. Who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Now, let's read of that in God's Word, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. Let's hear then God's breathed out Word to us this morning, for this too is the Word of the Lord. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of 
Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatil, and Shatil, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Elazar, and Elazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that we could read again this morning where you lay out the lineage of our Savior Jesus Christ in human terms. Pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob this morning as he delivers the message to us. Pray that you'll give him full recall of what he has studied in this week and that we would take this and it would bring joy to our hearts and lives and it would show forth in the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Well, there's certainly many different ways that one could approach Matthew chapter 1, at least the first 17 verses that uh, we've read this morning. One could uh, take a look at the unusual family members, because this is quite a story, looking back and looking at his ancestors and who were a part of that. There's all sorts of little interesting side notes, some of which uh, are pretty memorable in terms of that which happened and that occurred. Some are very shameful. And yet scripture in revealing these names and this list of ancestors certainly does not shy away from it. In fact, it's pretty much right out, straightforward and present with some of the more shameful elements of this family history that we have just read about. We could uh, take some time to look through these ancestors and find uh, the foreigners who were used and mentioned, the various women who are included uh, in an unusual way in this account, all of which we, we could look at and all of which uh, in one way or another we have dealt with over the years uh, of dealing with the coming of our Lord and Savior in this season of Advent. This morning, however, I want to look at Matthew chapter 1 with you in light of that which we read out of the Westminster Larger Catechism. In other words, the covenant. Because what we have before us is really a display of the covenant. And it comes out perhaps most clear that that is perhaps where Matthew was taking us when we come to that 17th verse, which seems to be to just sort of be some sort of summary 
So there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the deportation and the return, and 14 generations from the return or from the deportation till the time of Christ. But it's interesting what happens in those three time segments. One can look at it and say there were three times that God came and in a sense repeats his covenant promise. He does it to Abraham. He does it to David. And then he does it to those, this remnant of people who have returned from that deportation in time in Babylon. So it's rather interesting that it's set up in that way. Matthew, who is seeking to see Christ as the Old Testament promised Messiah, perhaps more than the other gospel writers, he's trying to connect all the dots back to the, to the promises and the fulfillment, the Old Testament, more than, for example, Mark or Luke or John are doing in the account of Jesus, would certainly want to have us understand the importance of that covenant that God had made and the fulfillment of that covenant in Jesus Christ. So we'll look at it under these four headings. If you're taking notes, first of all, the covenant reality. Secondly, the covenant restatement. Thirdly, the covenant reminder. And then fourthly, the covenant realized. Well, let's look at that first segment then. That first list that begins for us with Abraham. Did God state the covenant to Abraham? And of course, we would most likely answer, Yes, or we should answer yes, because that is true. Go with me, keeping your finger here at Matthew chapter 1, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Here comes the Lord to Abram. While he's in Ur of the Chaldees, revealing himself and saying to Abraham the following. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. This is what Abraham had to do. Promise. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that language ought to be resounding in our head because that language comes to us back, does it not, from that promise that God made 4,000 years before this event. Understand that, right? God comes to Abraham here in roughly 2,000 B.C., God had made his original promise, for those of us with uh, views of literal 24-hour day creation and timekeeping, would be about the year 6,000. God had come to Adam and Eve, 
Genesis 3.15, right, with the promise of a deliverer, the promise of the Savior, the promise of a son who would come and destroy the work of the serpent. 4,000 years later, God comes to Abram in the midst of a very pagan society, Ur of the Chaldees, and says to him, I want you to leave here because I am about fulfilling the promise. Because in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this covenant is made with Abraham, yes. It's a covenant to bless It's a covenant to bless the families of the earth, the nations of the earth, through him, through the offspring. How is God going to accomplish this? Genesis 17, where God comes again to Abraham and says, this is the means, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to give you a son. Now, yes, in the small, in the narrow, in the short term, that son is Isaac. But in the long term, it's that which we read about in the larger catechism. The one mediator of this covenant, this covenant of grace, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is Matthew doing? Matthew is tracing for us the fact that Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abraham. Why? Because he is the fulfillment of that covenant. He is the mediator of the covenant. He is the one with whom the covenant was made. Christ. God now, in Genesis 12, repeats that covenant. Matthew starts here to remind these folks, to remind you and I, that our God is a covenant-keeping God. And it came to Abraham. That promise. And it's as if Matthew is saying, and for 14 generations, this is the promise that's held on to. This is what is in focus. Oh, is it always clear? No. Does it waver sometimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, his whole mentioning here of Judah and, and uh, the, the Tamar incident and Perez and Zerah. Oh, it certainly doesn't look like the promise is going to be carried out. And yet it is. God is at work in such unusual ways. But he's carrying out his promise. It's interesting that the path God uses to fulfill his promises is not always the smooth, wide way. It's almost as if God uses the bumps and the potholes and the problems and the difficulties to bring out his promises because it shows him to be so faithful. For 14 generations, this promise of Abraham is that which, as it were, holds 
this nation together. Now, does it continue after that? Yes. But God in his mercy comes again. He comes again about a thousand years later. See, those those 14 generations that are spoken of there between Abraham and Jesse or up to David take about a thousand years of human history. So now we're at about a thousand BC. And God comes again. He doesn't repeat the very same promise of Genesis 12. He doesn't repeat the covenant in the same terms. If we had stopped and read all of those questions and answers uh, in the larger catechism, we would have read about the fact that in the Old Testament, okay, that covenant of grace, that one covenant, was displayed in various ways. In, in God used different means by which he showed forth that covenant. To Abraham, it was the promise of being a blessing to all nations through one of his descendants. But now God comes again, a thousand years later. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're in the reign of David. He's king. He wants to build the Lord a house rather than just the tent that he had and had been used up until that time from the time of Moses up until the time of David. Excuse me, it's 2 Samuel chapter 7. Chapter 6 is another one of those interesting sidelights that Matthew included, by the way, right? David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Okay, we're not going to cover this over, right? Another bump, another pothole. And yet God works his covenant through this. So now we're back to him wanting to build the house. Go with me down to, oh, let's, let's pick it up at verse 12. This is God speaking, Nathan the prophet, to David, the king. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Short term. Just like with with Abraham, there's a short term, right? Isaac. But there's the long term, Christ. In the short term, for David, there is Solomon who would build for the Lord a house, the temple. 
who would be in need of discipline. But in the long term, there is this word forever. There is this word that it will always be established, that it shall never pass away. This picture not of Solomon, but this picture in the long view of the one who is indeed the Father's Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Once again, covenant promise, covenant fulfillment. And what happens? That promise now is that which, through all of these kings of Judah, continues to be echoing in the background. Each of those names that we read after David until that deportation is a descendant of David, God fulfilling his covenant promise that one of David's descendants shall always sit upon that throne, looking forward to that coming of Jesus Christ. But it's that theme that continues to echo and echo and echo. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. One of David's descendants, sons, is ruling. A guy by the name of Ahaz. A horrible man. Horrible king. Very wicked. Very evil. Where is the promise of God in the midst of this evil reign? Where's the covenant? Where, when's God going to do what he promised Abraham? When's God going to do what he promised David? That we'd have a king who would rule forever? Certainly not this guy. Certainly not this man. So the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz. They're in the midst of, of a battle and a war. And Ahaz is about to make a horrible decision as to who to side with. Isaiah comes to him and says, you need to ask the Lord for a sign that the Lord's going to be with you and the Lord's going to guide you. And Ahaz says, I don't want a sign. I'm going to do my own thing. I know what's best. That's where we read this remarkable passage, right? About this promise. It's Isaiah 7. Pick it up with me at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to a test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Christ. In the midst of this horrific reign, a man who wants nothing to do with the Lord, God comes and says, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. Virgin shall conceive and bear a son. In the short term, that was probably some Jewish girl at that time who then becomes married and has a child and they give the child the name Emmanuel and that was going to be the sign for Ahaz himself. But we know, once again, right? You have the small, but you also have that which is in the future. This is the coming of Jesus Christ. So, 
that covenant promise is repeated again. Go over to Isaiah chapter 9, right? The promise of verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now note the connection. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Notice the David language. Why? Because it's covenant. This coming of this child, of this wonderful prince of peace, this everlasting father, this child, it's the fulfillment of covenant. And you see, in the midst of the heartache and darkness of that day, of that age, God is shining forth his covenant promises to these people. Even while they're in deportation, Daniel chapter 2, those of us who are studying Daniel on Wednesday mornings, right? Daniel chapter 2, the, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreams of and then the rock comes and knocks it down and destroys it. And what do we read about that rock? That God will establish an everlasting kingdom. You're hearing that in the midst of Babylon? What does, what, what does that language mean? That's covenant language. That's God's promise to David. He is at work. He hasn't forgotten us. Even in the midst here of captivity, God is continuing his promises. The 14 generations. But what about when they come back? They come back from this deportation. They come back from this captivity in Babylon. What happens? There's no king. They, they don't anoint anyone king. No one sits on any throne in Jerusalem. What's, see, the question that these people are facing is, what's happening to this covenant promise? It looks like it's done. It looks like it's over with. It looks like it's not going to happen. Can God be trusted? Is God faithful? He made a promise to Adam and Eve. He made a promise to Abraham that he would bring forth one. He made a promise to David. Now we have no king. Do you know who's the prophet after they return from deportation? After they return from Babylon, who's the prophet that God taps on the shoulder and says, you need to go and you need to speak to my people? Malachi. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. It's the book just before Matthew. If you still got your finger there in Matthew 1, right? So here we are in this last segment of 14 generations. What does God address these people with? He addresses them with covenant. Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he 
will prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist, right? The one who prepares the way for the Lord. Matthew's going to pick up on that in chapter 3. In fact, it's almost Matthew's language, right? John the Baptist comes, he comes, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Taken from Isaiah, but also here from Malachi. But now listen. Behold, I will send my messenger, he will prepare a way before me, before me, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 600 years now. It's been 600 years since God came to David through Nathan the prophet and promised a king forever upon the throne. 600 years later, here is Malachi. And he comes to these people and he says to them, God's keeping covenant. The covenant promise that you will have a savior, that you will be saved, that you will have salvation through a son. God's still at work. It's still there. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't quit. It hasn't ended. God hasn't turned away from that covenant promise. He's going to send forth a messenger to prepare the way and then suddenly this messenger of the covenant is going to come. That's Jesus Christ. He's going to be the one to fulfill covenant. That's what messenger of covenant means. He's going to be the one to fulfill the covenant. Don't lose hope. Hold on. God will fulfill his promise. You know what happened? 400 years of silence. Last word. God is going to fulfill his covenant. 14 generations. 400 years. Put that in perspective. 1620, the pilgrims set foot at Plymouth Rock. 400 years ago. That's the span of time we're talking about. In that period of 400 years, God sends no messenger. God sends no prophet. God sends no revelation. Hang on to the promise that I am a covenant-keeping God. And what happens? Matthew. Chapter 1, after tracing through all of those, how does Matthew conclude this? And Jacob, verse 16, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The covenant realized. That's what chapter 1 of Matthew is all about, this section. 
It's about Matthew laying before us a covenant record. A covenant record of God's faithfulness. A covenant record that God continues to keep before his people the promise of a savior. A promise for 6,000 years that now, that now, in the fullness of time, as Paul writes in Galatians 4, God brings about the fulfillment, the realization of this covenant promise. A son, a savior, salvation. Jesus, who is the Christ. And he brings it about in a covenant family. He brings it about tracing back for us the fact that Joseph is a all the way back to that covenant family. That covenant family of Abraham. I will bring it through you, Abram. Through you, through your line, through your descendants. Is Joseph connected to Abraham? Yes. Okay, but what about is he connected to David? I mean, Abram, we splinter off into 12 tribes and they into all sorts of factions and groups. What about, does that line work through David? Yes, Joseph is a descendant of David. He is covenant. That's the point Matthew is making. That not only is this a covenant record, it's the covenant record of Jesus' parents. His earthly parents. And that he legitimately can be referred to as a descendant not only of Abraham, but also of David. Which leaves us then with the covenant child. Who is the mediator? There is but one. Jesus Christ. The whole of this covenant of grace is found in a baby born to Joseph and Mary. All of God's promises are amen and amen in Jesus Christ. Why is this such a big deal to us as Christians? Why is the birth of Jesus Christ so important? Because it shows us the faithfulness of our God. And as he has been faithful in this covenant, he continues to be faithful in that covenant. What do you mean by that, pastor? It means that all those who are in Christ, all those who are engrafted into Christ, all those who by faith place their trust for their salvation, not in themselves, not in their own works, not in their church, not in their denomination, not in men, but look to Christ and to Christ alone. God 
is faithful in all of his promises. And he will save to the uttermost all those who are in covenant with Christ. Remember what God told Abraham? In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Think of how many nations are represented in this room this morning. Think of how many cultures and backgrounds. No, we're not all Dutch. Some are English. Some are German. Some are French. Some have Italian backgrounds. Some are Swedish. Some are Norwegian. We look deep enough, some of us might even have some Russian in us. And yet when we look with a bigger eye past little farms, we see it even larger yet. We see this kingdom, this family, these, all these nations being blessed in Christ. From China, Africa, India, Mexico, Brazil. In Christ. The descendant of Abraham. The son of David. The messenger of the covenant. We are blessed. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you. It's a different way of looking at Matthew chapter 1. And yet what a beautiful, beautiful perspective on your word. That you are our covenant-keeping God. And that you have kept covenant in the one who is indeed the messenger of the covenant, the mediator of the covenant, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that has drawn us in faith into Christ. So that all those promises of salvation are ours. In his name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.